0: Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O oh, Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Well, as you can read on, the, um, on the, uh, the, the hymn board, and as you can tell by our red vestments, we are celebrating a Saint's Day today. Today is the Feast of St. Luke the Evangelist. Now when we talk about um, evangelists in this context, it's not because St. Luke was a missionary for the gospel, although he was, but that's not why he's called St. Luke the evangelist. He's called the evangelist because he's one of the four writers of the gospels. The four authors of the four gospels are called the four evangelists. Um, the, the Greek word that we get gospel and the Greek word that we get evangelist are, are the same root. And so um, that is why he's called St. Luke the Evangelist, because uh, we do believe he wrote the third gospel. And also, if it, um, you, you're probably aware of this, but if not, he also wrote the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles was, a, was another book by St. Luke, Luke, which makes him, uh, he, that means that he wrote about a quarter of the New <coughs> Testament in terms of uh, kind of word count and content and that sort of thing. And if you do read the beginning of the book of Acts, we see that it is the sequel to the gospel. Um, It's addressed to the same people, and the book of Acts is framed as, okay, here's the rest of the story, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Within the scriptures themselves, St. Luke is best known as one of St. Paul's companions on those missionary journeys that St. Paul took. Our epistle passage for today from uh, St. Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, is one of those examples where St. Paul specifically mentions Luke as one of his companions. And then, of course, we have those various we passages in, um, in the book of Acts where Saint Luke is accompanying Saint Paul and he's telling the story firsthand. This is what we did on those passages. Our gospel passage today from, um, from, from Luke chapter 10 is, was included due to a medieval legend that Saints Mark and, and Luke were part of that group of 70 that went out Um, from the apostles to spread the gospel. The idea being Mark and Luke were not one of the 12, but this medieval legend says that they were one of the 70 that were sent out. Um, That's almost certainly not true with respect to St. Luke, possibly with St. Mark, but but almost certainly not with St. Luke. Um, Pretty much nobody outside of that medieval window um, believed it to be the case. Uh, most likely, St. Luke did not know our Lord during his earthly ministry. He came to faith later on as part of the ministry of the early church. And in fact, from some of what St. Paul says in his epistles, we can conclude that Luke was most likely the only Gentile among the writers of the New Testament. Everybody else that is a writer of the New Testament was Jewish, But St. Luke was most likely a Gentile. Alternatively, he may have been a Jew who was culturally and linguistically Greek rather than Hebraic. Um, And where we get this is there's a few passages where St. Luke says, Okay, all the Jews have left me on this this trip except for so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. Oh, and Luke and -and so-and-so are also with me. You know, kind of excluding Luke and from that category of the the Jews. But in the Greek of the New Testament, that same word that gets translated as Jew can also mean somebody from Judea. So um, that's why it might be that he is a Hellenistic Jew or he's a Gentile, one of the two. Um, We also know from the epistles, from Paul's epistles, that St. Luke was a physician by trade. This is likely why the third gospel has more of the human interest angle, so to speak, than the other three gospels. In the gospel, according to St. Luke, we have more healings, more dealings with women and Gentiles, more stories about those on the edges of society one way or the other than the other gospels. This aspect of the third gospel is why, we, why today's collect is phrased as it is. So uh, this is what we prayed in the collect. We said, Almighty God, who didst inspire thy servant, St. Luke the Physician, to set forth in the gospel the love and healing power of thy Son, manifest in thy church the like power and love to the healing of our bodies and souls through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, our prayer for the whole state of Christ church, the prayer for the church militant um, that we do after the Offertory. It notes that one of the reasons we commemorate saints' days, we remember the lives of the saints, we study their lives, is so that we might follow their good examples. That's the way it's phrased in the prayer. Our collect, which was, by the way, new for the 1928 revision, gives us one of those examples to follow from St. Luke. Just as his gospel shows the love and healing power of our Lord Jesus Christ, we want to be a manifestation of that same healing power. We want God to use us to heal men's souls and bodies and to be for the betterment or healing of society. And that's something that can ultimately only be accomplished through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So for a practical application right from the get-go, as we head to the polls over the next few weeks, be sure to use your civic privilege and duty of voting to love your neighbor. Whether your neighbor is black, brown, white, rich, poor, whether your neighbor is an embryo in the womb or someone on their deathbed, use your vote to love your neighbor. That's an opportunity we have. Um, Don't use your vote just out of loyalty to one party or the other. Don't use your vote just for selfish reasons, but prayerfully, prudentially use your vote for the good of your neighbor um, as the Lord leads. And in fact, in Archbishop Cranmer's original collect for the Feast of St. Luke, this is really what's emphasized because we're reminded that the doctrines of the gospel are medicine for the healing of our souls. So remember to live your lives in such a way that the gospel shines for. Whether it's in your civic duty, whether it's sharing the, the, the good news of the Lord with your friends and neighbor, whether it's just being a good citizen in whatever vocation the Lord has given you, use it with the gospel in mind. When we look at, the, uh, at Luke's gospel in the book of Acts, we see that St. Luke is a meticulous historian, in the beginning of the gospel, he says that his book was written to set forth the story of Jesus in an orderly manner, to investigate the facts, and to chronicle what actually happened. And that's exactly what he does in those two volumes in Luke and Acts. He, he lays it out just in an orderly fashion as it happened. St. Luke really does rank right up there with the very best of ancient historians in terms of giving us verifiable facts and good solid research. Granted, ancient historians operated in a different matter from the modern discipline. For example, the way it's supposed to be these days in, our, in the modern science of history is you're not really supposed to be advocating for anything. You're not really supposed to be pushing a particular narrative or trying to persuade anybody. You're just, you're supposed to be just get laying out the facts. That's not the way it always works. <laughs> but that's, that's the ideal of the modern discipline. That was not the case in the ancient world. In the ancient world, there, there often was a persuasive point to history as well. And so St. Luke is, not, is by no means um, trying to hide the fact that he wants you to believe in Jesus. But he's doing so by laying out the facts. Even among today's secular scholars, the only area where they find Luke's historical method to be problematic is that he includes the supernatural. And in other words, that's what we call an a a priori um, um, judgment. They're not doubting his method, but they just don't believe the premise that the supernatural exists. And so therefore they conclude that's problematic. Well, you know, that's an assumption that as Christians we, of course, don't make. If the facts lead us to believe that the supernatural is real, we ought to believe that it's real, right? Because of Luke's account of the, Christ, of the Christmas story, um, we can see all of how all the, a lot of the names and the places in that well-known story that we're going to be doing in a few weeks, in a few months rather. We can point to when that happened, where that happened, who was in charge when that happened, what were the historical events. And in fact, because of Luke's account of the Christmas story, it's often assumed that our Lord's Blessed Mother was one of those sources when he did his research. That's an example of Luke's uh, skills as a historian. This gives us another takeaway in the life of St. Luke. Luke's approach to his gospel and acts reassures us of the historical reliability of the scriptures And therefore, the historical reliability and the general reliability of our faith. Christianity is not based on blind faith. We're not asked to set our reason aside when we come to the Lord. Yes, God demands our trust, but it's not an unfounded trust. He gives us good reason to trust him. Indeed, we are called to follow the truth wherever it leads, and we can do so in the confidence that following the truth will lead us to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not relative. Reality does not differ from person to person. Rather, we have a faith that is based on facts. This puts the Christian on a firm ground, despite all the confusion, all the craziness of the world around us, Christ is indeed the solid rock on which we stand. Our epistle reading from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, this epistle was written at the end of St. Paul's life. It's generally believed that he wrote 2 Timothy while he was under house arrest in Rome just prior to his execution. We see Paul exhorting Timothy in in this passage to do his ministerial duty, to do his episcopal duty. He writes this, St. Paul writes, Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So in short, St. Paul is exhorting St. Timothy to be faithful in spite of persecution and in spite of hardship. Paul goes on then to show how he has done this very thing as he nears the end of his life. He writes, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. So the faithfulness that St. Paul has demonstrated, and to which he is exhorting St. Timothy, does not go unrewarded. Our Lord blesses and rewards those who are faithful. Sometimes that reward is in this life, but more often it's in the life to come. Nevertheless, as every Christian martyr has pointed out, it is better to suffer now and inherit everlasting life than to be comfortable now and suffer damnation in the world to come. Paul concludes our passage with uh, various personal business And he notes that he has been abandoned by everyone except for Luke. This third example by St. Luke brings up yet another aspect of Christian faithfulness. Not only are we to be faithful to our Lord, but we're to be faithful to our brethren in Christ. We're to be faithful to Christ's church as well. We don't give up on each other as Christians. We support each other. Earlier I mentioned that our gospel reading is based on what is most likely an unfounded legend that Luke was among the 70. But nevertheless, Luke does do the same things as the 70, though he does it much later than they did and in a much wider geographical context. Luke did indeed go out as a lamb among wolves. He did take the gospel to the nations Despite the risk, and according to church historians in a, in a much more reliable <laughs> sort of story than that about the seventy about him being part of the seventy, a much, one that, that is pretty much universally agreed upon, um, he does Luke does end up being a martyr, hung from a cypress tree somewhere in Greece for preaching the gospel. An interesting aspect of our gospel reading is that the, seven, the sending forth of the 70 is only found in Luke's gospel. That's, that part of the story is not in the other three. The number 70 in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, but not only in the Old Testament, the number 70 is often symbolic of the nations, just as, just as the number 12 is symbolic of Israel. So whenever you see that number 12, you think Israel. When you see 70, you think of the nations. Sometimes this looks like a dichotomy. We've got Israel and the nations. We've got the church and the world. But more often in the scriptures, the 12 is the first fruit of the 70. We have that first, the, the 12 apostles bring the rest of the nations um, into into the into the Messiah, just as the twelve tribes of Israel were to bring the seventy nations to the Lord. In this story, then we have a foreshadowing of the spread of the gospel to the whole world. That's what, that's why Saint Luke is putting it in his in in the uh, in the gospel. It's through the propagation of the good news of Jesus Christ, the propagation of the gospel that people's hearts and minds are changed. It's through the propagation of the gospel that God heals us and heals the world. It's through the propagation of the gospel that we then follow in the footsteps of St. Luke, just as he followed in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we say this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.